please raise your hand if you sat next to someone who did not make it. No joke, no joke. <laughs> this joke is like, do we, uh, do we have any, any great volunteers to practice your verbs uh, for this morning? No pun intended. No, the word pun intended. Come on, I, I could use a little more of that. That's just some words. Um, but uh, let's see. Just a, a thought as we're memorizing. You know, we're going to keep memorizing. This verse is one that, you know, we're trying not to memorize for the sake of, you know, telling people, hey, guess how many verses I have memorized. The goal is to memorize God's word that it uh, transforms us, that it works on us, that it changes us. This has been a meaningful verse to me. Um, uh, kind of been in my life coming to faith in Christ and since then, but I, I heard uh, several, I was hopping around churches back in the days when, when God was working on my heart, and I, I remember hearing this verse on the radio and at different messages, um, and it just intrigued me, but um, I have a question, so who is this verse written to? Believers, you know, and it's easy to go, oh, this is for unbelievers so they can know they have eternal life, but this is written to you, believers. I write these things to you to believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And, uh, you know, I was just reminded, I think that quote from Thoreau that says something like, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I think in a lot of ways, many Christians lose lives when it comes to their faith of this quiet desperation. And I think the Apostle John in this case was writing to believers and said, hey, you believe in the Son of God. Now know that you have eternal life. You can have a, an exuding confidence now. And I know in my own life, people always wonder, do I believe, do I not? Am I really saved, am I not? And eventually, I feel like the major connection with when you come to believe in the Son of God as your Lord and Savior, you can know, you can have a confidence, not only about your own faith, but confident enough to get out and have a purpose of sharing with others. And you know, I really feel like this is a turning point with me, where I go, you know, now I know, and how can I not share this with others? And I like a part of just giving my life to Christ and serving Him and getting the message out about knowing Him and knowing that He has a single life. But I hope that you have that confidence. I hope that you are not living these lives with quiet, desperation, wondering, and I'm saved and I'm not, and I'm saved. if you are wrestling with that, you're probably not telling anyone else about it because you don't really know yourself. So, so I hope you come to this, this uh, Exuding this loud confidence that God wants you to have about your faith. And I said, anyway, memory verse tips to read there. So, uh, we are going to uh, switch gears here. We're in Acts chapter 21 today. And we will just pray. And we'll open up the chapter here and uh, think of the key things that, that the Lord has to communicate to us here this morning. So, we would open the house Bible to uh, page 11 OT. And Acts chapter 21. And we'll go ahead and pray here. Lord Jesus, we do look to you this morning. Lord, we pray that by the Holy Spirit you would speak to us. You would open up our hearts to, to hear from you this morning, to listen to you. Lord, I pray that you would if you even open the channel um, from you through me to each of our hearts here this morning, that we could hear what you would have in store. 
for each one of us. And Lord, you know each one of our lives in detail. Every burden, every situation, every challenge, every joy, down to the very detail, Lord. And I just ask you to speak into our lives this morning in any way that it pleases you. Um, we just pray, uh, Lord, that we can hear you, we can respond, we obey, we put things into action. Let you prompt our hearts to us this morning. We pray together for this place. In Jesus' name. So, uh, we are going to look at the uh, X21. We'll just read through here in the first glance. It looks like a long chapter, 40 verses, so it is a long chapter. Um, so, we only have really two areas that, as I was praying through this and studying and trying to see what God has for us from this chapter, there were two areas that, that really stood out to me, and I'll share those up front so that you might keep an eye out for them as we go. But um, one of them is hospitality. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to take for granted hospitality. You know, what's the big deal about hospitality? You might read this and go, I don't see hospitality in here anywhere. I hope you catch it because I feel like the Lord brought it to my attention. And as a matter of fact, as we read, you see several places where this hospitality is, is shown here. Um, the other thing we're going to watch for is kind of a question on Paul's uh, life. You know, what we've been following his journey. I think we have a map here. Uh, and we've been following his journey along here. Last week, chapter 20, was in my leaders, and he spoke to the pastors and the elders in Ephesus. And just, um, there was some things from Paul's life. We looked at his example, but this week, he continues to travel, a lot of sailing, stopping a few places along the way, and we read in chapter and he makes it to Jerusalem. And, and he's welcomed, and he's arrested, and, and things like that. But uh, see, this is kind of this leg of the journey right here, that they follow. So, um, but along the way, there was a question of, well, is Paul supposed to go to Jerusalem or not? Uh, some people were urging him not to go because he's going to have persecution there. He really strongly sensed like that chapter said like he, he felt bound to go to Jerusalem. So is it the Lord's will or not? And um, watch for that. See if he starts judging his life and that's for you. And then also we're going to watch this hospitality. Acts chapter 21. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed to the next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Petera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Syria where our ship was still loaded cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from here and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Even the next day we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. We had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
Coming over to it, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, uh, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Mason. So we were to stay. He was an ancient disciple from one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentile Jews' ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. And they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all, all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their certification life, and pay their expenses so that they can have their head saved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written them to our decisions that they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the need of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took them and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the days when the days of purification would end, and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people, and our law, and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously been spoken of for a season in the city of Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, he reached the commander of the Roman troops. But the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get it, uh, get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the bed. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be killed by the soldiers. The crowd that Paul had kept shouting away with him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out in the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a city of no... Uh, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's commission, 
Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them, No, no. Therefore, I think it's pretty from there next week. But um, wow, that's a that's a lot of stuff happening to a chapter here. So, uh, you know, realistically, we could probably take one verse a week and teach on it for roughly the next 40 weeks, and uh, we would probably have a lot of territory to cover. So, even more so to do it all in one week. Here. But I think there are two things that um. That's not really impressed on my heart for us to, to think on and observe and look at the example that we see here and, and see how we can apply to it to our lives. So um, the first one is like I said here relates to the subject of hospitality. Um, one of the first things I think we need to do is just to realize the importance of hospitality. And we're going to look at a, a few things here, but um, one of the things I noticed when I was reading this passage is that roughly uh, four times people opened their homes to Paul, and was Paul traveling alone? Paul never did anything alone. He didn't go to prison alone. He didn't do anything alone. He had a curious and he had an entourage. So when they opened up their homes to Paul, they opened up their homes to a list of people who saw from after. Like ten guys were traveling with them. Those were just the ones that were coming And so along the way, we just, I just sensed this, uh, the love of the disciples, and it talks about this emotion, it's one of the original disciples, one of the early ones, um, and I think that they have taught that what love was like, love from Jesus, love towards one another, and in a lot of ways, um, hospitality is uh, just an uh, expression of love. It comes through households, it comes through your homes, um, and so you see them, they're torn away, they're often weeping, saying goodbye to one another, but then they're welcomed us into the house of Philip, into the home of Nathan, into the other home for just one day, and another place is like, it stays for seven days. But four times, just in the first paragraph, they talk about the disciples, the whole two disciples staying in in one home here and one home there, and um, what do you think is is a... Think about hospitality in there, and you know, again, hospitality is kind of like a combination of things. It's a combination of love, it's a combination of serving, it's a combination of unity. You need all those things, it's like this package deal when you express hospitality. And some of the ways you see this is uh, important, you want to give you some other, other things to think about on this, but then, did you know that um, you cannot become a pastor unless you're hospitable? It's a prerequisite for being a pastor. So what's the big deal? Be hospitable? I mean, come on, you need to make a meal or open the door or something like that. But both in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, it says, hey, look, uh, the man who serve as a pastor, he must be hospitable. Um, the essence of, of hospitality, what the definition one is, it says that uh, it's showing love to strangers, showing love to guests, is the way I like to say it. It's, it's expressing love to people that you wouldn't maybe otherwise do that for. You know, we have people we show love to, the normal ones, families, friends, neighbors, that we commonly do that, but in this case, it includes people who might be believers who've never met before, and you would open up your very home, your personal space, to, to welcome someone in and care for their needs. You know, hospitality can be just a meal, or it can be um, lodging, or things like that. And um, some of these quotes on 
uh, in this, this book on uh, becoming a it's called biblical elder, but he talks about the importance of hospitality. He says here that, you know, a strong and maybe convicting, but the one of it says, those who love hospitality love people, and are concerned about them. Those who love hospitality love people, and are concerned about them. This other one is a little more convicting. It says, an open home is a sign of an open heart and a loving, sacrificial, serving spirit. A lack of hospitality is a sure sign of selfish, lifeless, loveless, disunity. That's a little bit painful, you know. I think that it's true in the context of, of becoming a, a, a pastor that you need to be hospitable and use your home to serve the church and others. But you know, that's not just for pastors, you know, that's not just for, for me or Jeff or Dad and, and our families. Um, the New Testament has several places with strong instructions to all believers to be hospitable. Paul writes in um, Romans 12 13, he says, um, talks about meeting the needs of others, but then he says, um, pursue is one of the phrases that he pursue hospitality. Go after hospitality. Um, Peter writes, be hospitable to one another without complaint, says Peter 4 9. And Hebrews it says this, 13 2, Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some is entertained angels without knowing it. Jesus himself talked about showing hospitality to strangers. You know, he says in Matthew chapter 25 that the idea of, you know, when, when did you, when Jesus would be, uh, give you water, or when did you visit you in prison? He says, anytime you did this to the least of, of these, you did this to me. And one specifically says, when did you, when did you invite a stranger into, uh, when did you invite a stranger in? And in that, he said, can you do that you've done that to me? So there's a huge importance to hospitality. I think it's easily overlooked. But I just want to hone in on this and look at some practicals of this here and to realize the importance of hospitality. It's a huge deal. Um, you know, I think when Jesus said, you know my disciples by their love for one another. In that, I think you can look at your household and you can look at your home and you can see, hmm, the disciples of Jesus live here or not? How are the hospitality servants? Are the believers, like it says here? Um, you know, Peter says, serve one another without complaining about it. And then in Hebrews, he says, serve strangers, people that you don't know. Maybe, you know, you just know they're a believer and come to hurt and they'll stay with you as a passing through. Um, but there's, you know, different expressions about hospitality. But how does that go in your world? You know, and I'm going to look at this next idea is being able to find from I think we invented a new word here, but um, the point is being hospitable versus being hospitable-like. You know, I don't, I don't know it's not a word, I'm really that, but, um, you know, it's, there's the idea of, there's really two sides of the fence you can really be on, you know, if you look at it, you're the one who is hospitable. You, you work to serve others. Yeah, another word I, I like the way you look is accommodating. You're accommodating. You, you accommodate people, their needs, their situations, or you're in the other camp. You are the accommodator. You know, you got to have things just like you like it. You need your grace on, you need your whatever, and you go visit. And it's, there's just two camps you'll find yourself in afterwards. You're accommodated, or you're accommodating. A hospitable, or you should be hospitable for a while. But 
So I just want to ask you, how how is that going in your world? Um, see here some examples. I think of uh, uh, those, you know, there's uh, I think of the gal in the church where she's recently married. I, I think she's a great example of course, being hospitable. Uh, some of you might know her, Sarah Albert. And she, uh, she's been a part of the church at all over the number of years. You have been served by Sarah in many different ways, whether you do it or not. But one of the things you might not have known about Sarah, whether she serves you in your home and in her home and, you know, uh, behind the scenes at a barbecue or things you might not have known, is Sarah has a, a pretty serious allergy to, to gluten. And I had to ask her what it was against our suggestions, you know, but uh, so one of the things you know about Sarah is you probably rarely have found that out from her, from her interactions with her. Sarah and Brad helped, you know, provide all the food for the barbecue yesterday, 30, 40 people, and probably everything that was served there was something Sarah could not eat. And many times Sarah found herself in a situation where she could not eat what she was serving you and me. And, and you know what? You would never know that. Sarah keeps uh, a secret stash of food that she can eat in her purse with her so that she can and she could eat whatever she needs to. But the point is, Sarah is one, an example, I think, of one who seeks to accommodate others, even with these pastoral meetings. And, and that, she's a great example to us all in that. And another example, I think, is here, um, in the country, so you're being hospitable, inviting people into your homes, you're serving them. Well, you know, it takes a little bit of effort to go. So I'm going to come into something. They've invited me, I'm going to let them serve me. Um, you know, Sometimes we just say baby doing our own things. We're not even available not to serve, but to even show up to, to somebody's place, you know. And uh, but I think of Jeff's example here. If you've ever had Jeff over for dinner, uh, I remember when we first getting the church started and Jeff was single and we had him over for dinner. And uh, I love having Jeff over for dinner because, you know, doing the dishes was my responsibility. But if Jeff was around, I never got to my dishes. Jeff would beat me to my own kitchen, my own dishwasher. He got that thing loaded before I even got up from the table. You know, and um, so again, that, that part is, is kind of seeking to work around others instead of, hey, hey, I'm here, you know, we're hospitalizing you. I'm not going to worry about this, but um, there's a way that we can be in an environment where we're still serving others. We're fighting to do their dishes with people who do serve, but sometimes it's uh, you're lucky I just throw that. You're lucky I ate your food. And you're lucky I finished this. And, uh, you know, and we'll set you later or something like that. But I encourage you to be people with that serve and loving, accommodating to others sort of part that we see throughout the New Testament. And I'm sure what's going on in these situations as well here. But then, so be hospitable versus being hospitable lives. Another thing I think about related to this is some of you, um, a lot of times hospitality shows up. You know, you might even, for fun, think of it as hospitality. You know, it's, it's what you can do to serve others with your house, with your household. Um, and these situations that we see, people open up their homes. And because of their homes, they were able to provide a meal. Because of their homes, they were able to provide lodging. Um, and so, we have households. And if you are household, we can provide hospitality. But I want to encourage some of you are in the dorms. I know some of you are over to Regency there. You can go out. I can't invite anyone over to dinner unless you want something from the little tiny kids that got in the room. Um, but there's still a way you can practice hospitality. I remember uh, a number of years ago, there was a, a guy just teaching on uh, his experience in the dorms. 
and we became known as we got a vision for reaching young people in the Bronx to Christ. And we thought in order to do that, you know what I could do and my roommate could do, we can make our dormings extremely hospitable. We can go anywhere on the floor people would want to go to their room because they had everything you would ever want. They had a, a fridge in a shop full of things that college people like, pop or different things. They had entertaining things, games and things people could play. They had another crazy concept, the room was clean, you know, and uh, I don't know, sometimes we think, let me see, I like this guy, he's real friendly. Man, there's clothes everywhere, there's dirty, you know, garbage left out, and smells in that room. He's a good guy, but boy, I don't think I want to hang out there. You know, and you need to be hospitable, whether you're in the dorm, whether you're a married couple with kids, whether uh, you're a household single guy. I love this phrase too. It says, and he stays with the brothers. You know, brothers, that are call traveling around if you want to stay at your house. Would you want to stay? Maybe he's giving you a room. Maybe he's saying, I'll sleep on the lawn tonight. And, you know, you need to make sure you've got hospitable household. You know, that's one of the things we encourage people to live together because um, we can be hospitable. And what you do with them. Another thing that's required to be hospitable, in order to have a hospitable household, you need to have a united household. Jesus himself said, we let the house divided, we're not standing. Uh, you can follow on to say a house divided, it's probably not going to hurt people very well. Uh, they want to stand together to serve others. And we need to have, we need to have a unity. You know, if a uh, husband and wife aren't working well together, you're probably not going to invite people into your home. So something's got to change. If you don't invite people in, you're going to go in marriage. Uh, if your kids, you know, are out of control or something, it's like, well, you, you don't have people over because our kids are going to scare the heck out of people. You will know, engage with training them or are we just unhospitable? Single people, you know, we can... Um, we have to be united. It's easy in this day and age that we live in. Uh, this society caters to the individual. You know, you do your own thing. It's not uncommon to have your own house. And, you know, life is kind of like I cook for myself. I shop for myself. I entertain myself. Really, a lot of my Christian life is all about myself. We save the people, Jesus, and myself. And, um, you know, that, you've got to work deliberately. Some of you live on your own. You've got to work hard to overcome that tendency be all about stuff. You know, it reminds me of a t-shirt I saw the other day in Target. Um, I wanted my wife to buy it for me or something like that. But it's a t-shirt that said, um, I need to tell you, um, I really need to tell you, but this one is a big deal. And uh, I, think, uh, I think a lot of us, whether we wear that t-shirt or not, we look at your life and you're wearing a t-shirt that says, I think I'm a pretty big deal. You should probably hospitalize me here. Um, well, you need to watch for that. If you're living on your own, you really, like this says, where there is no hospitality from your home, there's likely a, uh, a love that is not as sacrificial, not as selfless, not as uh, serving as it could be because life is all about you. But this can happen even if you're in a household. You can have carved out your own little world where the doesn't require you to think outside of the box itself. And so I encourage you, whatever household you're in, to work you have to be united, to have a vision to serve others outside of you. And you want to look for opportunities like that. Um, let's see this. There's some practical, practical opportunities coming up here to think about. Um, one is we're sending out students on mission trips over this next week or two. So I just want to tell you, the reality is you're going to benefit from the hospitality of others. Many others are going to be opening up their homes to you. We're sending the homes of these people. 
and, and you're going to benefit. But I encourage you to be someone kind of like the, the deaf attitude. You're in your home, they're trying to serve you, but you're doing your best to have them do the least amount of work possible to have you there. Doing their business, doing their craft, whatever is needed. I encourage you to watch your opportunities. I think that we've counted the people going on trips either to Seattle or to Manhattan, and I think we're, we're, we're still we're approaching the facilities. There's uh, almost three times that we sent out on mission trips last year. So that's encouraging, but I encourage you to go, hey, this mission trip includes the household you're staying in. Be a blessing for them. What could be a blessing? I encourage you to do that. Also, um, we're going to have some mission trips coming here. And in August, in about a month, we have uh, a team coming out from Salt Lake City that they're taking some of their days off. They're bringing, uh, I think, this kid is probably approaching 40 people out to Denver, to our neighborhood, and they're going to need a place to stay. And, and I'm hoping some of us will write to the occasion to be hospitable to some strangers, to people you might have never met before. But there's going to be opportunity. Does God lead us into this warehouse? And the reality, there's people already volunteering from other churches in our churches to come out here, spend their weekend working on that building, bringing their tools, taking a day off if they need to travel, whatever it is. There's people who want to come out here. And you know what there's going to be a need for? For hospitable homes. People showing the love of Christ through the hospitality of your home. So there's going to be opportunities. But I also just think, you know, um, in general, if you want to grow in hospitality, invite someone over for a meal. It's a very simple thing to do, just, but it takes community. You've got to be working together. If you, you know, in your household, you're not seeing your roommates at all, you don't have a household night or dinner or anything, you're probably not going to have a household dinner to bless somebody else. You can't even you know, get one together on your own schedule. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some refining. It's going to take some price margin. But I encourage you to look for those options. Maybe someone's in need. Maybe you have a few people that are uh, in between jobs and stuff. Maybe you can look to, to invite them into your home and bless them through uh, your hospitality. And, and who knows, like Jesus said, um, you blessed me when you invited me and you know, I'm, we just watch for opportunities too. So anyway, those are some, some hospitality uh, things to look at. The next thing we look at here is just the other side of the I, I felt like um, you know, it came to my attention I was praying and we'd do this, but it, it, it just feels a little bit here. We're going to the question of God's will. What was God's will concerning Paul? I don't know if you saw some of it along the way here, but um, verse 4, you know, if you're going to make a case that Paul should not have gone to Jerusalem that was outside of God's will, I would use verse 4 right here. It says, um, Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days in a nice, hospitable home. I'm sure, um, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit, you know what that means? The Spirit is saying, hey Paul, you shouldn't go there. Bad things are going to happen. But we know back in chapter 20 here, um, Jerusalem and extend his ministry and his influence and things like that. So 
see those verses, it's kind of hard to tell. Actually, there is a little confusion there. Um, but it seems to me that the confusion is stirred up when the Lord sends a prophet to come. This Agabus guy shows up in, uh, in verse 10 here. I don't know if any of you were expecting to have church names. I think that Agabus, that's an interesting name. name is good there. It's a good, strong prophet name. But uh, my wife is, I don't know, she doesn't She's not so fond of the prophet names. I love all these prophet names, you know, different Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezra, some of them, but she's kind of like, the prophets to help us hard lives are always in a church or under persecution. I don't want our church to have to go, I don't have to make it to me. I don't know about Abigail, but I'm um, uh, Anyway, he turned over, he came to Paul, he took his belt, and he's, you know, doing those prophets off the good, even from the Old Testament, as they had some symbolism tied into their message. And so he took his belt and tied up himself, and said, hey, the owner of this belt, and, you know, I love what he says, very clear, he says, he will, Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So I don't know if there's any question up to this point where there's a little drill and all of a sudden you go, well, the prophet has just told you this is going to happen. It's a done deal, folks. And so uh, I think Paul caught that. But what was the response of the people? Well, right after this prophet says this, that when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And, um, two things that I wanted to, to get us to think about. There's two errors, I think, sometimes we make related to the Lord's will, specifically we see in this situation. One of them is, is this, like you see um, right here, you know, it's like two errors in this world, but one of them is, yes, he's going to suffer. He just prophesied, he's going to suffer. All these godly believers said, you shouldn't go there. They're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. And sometimes we can have that same thing. There's an error in our thinking. If they're suffering, God probably does not want us to go through them. That's what they're saying. Hey, look, you said you're going to suffer. They're clean with them. Don't go. It's up there. Sometimes we, we get that same thought. It's definitely not the Lord's will to suffer. That's not my lot in life. You know, I go to the yoke of easy. The burden is light. Suffering is not a part of what I signed up for here in my two gifts. Um, but throughout the New Testament, the life of Jesus, you think you're following Jesus. Jesus said there was no one more good than Jesus, and yet no one suffered more unjustly. No more bad things happened to any one person than Jesus, who was the most good person who's ever walked the planet. And, and we're following him. He says, follow me there. Follow me there. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. You gotta watch it from there and I think you go, oh, if I was not the Lord's will, you have a heart to. Um and, and it seems like they were thinking that um if you focus here we can know real clearly that it's the Lord's will. They could you know, the prophet speaking that we he cannot be bound. This one, um, you know, this is a very interesting one. There's an example we could think of of someone who suffered and was right smack in the middle of God's will. Jesus, I think there's no better example. And this is kind of a, when I first read this uh, as, a, as a new believer, it was just kind of, I was a little bit like, what in the world is going on here? But Isaiah 53, verse 10, suffering, you know, is it in God's will or not? Well, this, this is what it says here. Yet it was the Lord's will to trust Him and cause Him to suffer. 
and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He goes on to say, Do this, my servant will justify many. Right smack in the middle of God's will that Jesus suffers unjustly, and so we just have to watch, you know, people go, Well, I don't want that, but well, that may be true. The last thing here, you know, Peter also talks about this. He says, hey, this, this suffering that we don't know why happened, there's some reasons we just go, well, why, why is this suffering? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this, you know, and Peter just, and so he doesn't address the question why as much as how to, how to deal with this. And he talks about suffering, you know, there's a, uh, uh, here. Friends, do not be surprised at the painful of trial you're suffering, that there's something strange that's happening in the for two to three trials. Um, then it goes on down in um, verse 19, and it says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should submit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You know, if this suffering is that's part of that, you know, what God has in, in your path right now, um, and you're doing it, and it relates to your life, being a witness to Christ, suffering for His name. Um, you know, He just says, and there's suffering we don't understand. There's things we go, why is that happening? I don't know. But this says, when there's suffering, and it happens to be in God's will, as best you can tell, even though you don't know why it's happening, and trust yourself to your faithful creator. And we need to do that. We need to trust that God can work itself to do the worst thing that ever happened to the best man on, on the planet brought about salvation and forgiveness for all of us and for many and, and God has the ability to turn that around. And we have to watch the other the other area I think we can call it. He says, anyways, like Paul, we need to be willing to suffer for, for God's name, for Christ's name. We need to be willing. He was willing. He said, hey, look, I'll go suffer. I'm ready to die. That's what God has for me. We need to have that same attitude. But the other area we, we have to watch for is kind of the, I think the other side of the thing. You know, there's be willing to suffer for his name, but don't confuse that for suffering for being lame. You know, and what I'm saying, you know, that's kind of like we can kind of just cover this line and go, well, the Lord's will, the fallen Christ is suffering. You know, I just covered all my all my suffering and so on. I'm working God's will, I guess. The broken, hard situation must be God's will. Don't confuse suffering for lame choices, for long choices, for suffering that has to do with the name of Jesus Christ. And it's easy to do. People often say, well, God's will, uh, one of the verses that comes up pretty often is uh, Romans 8, 28, God will work all things together for good. I really screwed it up, but God will work it out for good. It's an almost this attitude. He says God will work everything out for good. Who cares if I screw everything up? And we can make wrong choices financially. We can make wrong choices relationally. We can make wrong choices morally. And we will suffer because of that. You know, Galatians 6, 7 says God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. You reap wrong choices. You will suffer the consequences. It's uh, eternal law. And, and we just have to watch out for it. Sometimes we confuse, oh, they're suffering because I'm, I'm a witness to Christ. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm united with the church. It's trying to reach our neighborhood. There's going to be suffering that will come from that. But don't confuse that. The suffering made from four choices that clearly contradict God's scriptures related to finances, related to relationships, related to this moral choices. And we just have to watch out for that because it's easy to just blame it on God. Well, I'm falling tight, I'm going to stop. We'll do work it out. That's nothing fair in thinking. We have to watch out for that. Um, 
But the good news is, and in light of all this, he said, God can help us. God has graced us to get through suffering. Whether it's unjust and ununderstood suffering, God can give us grace. Whether it's suffering because we made some dumb choices, God gives us grace as well. Um, but the key to that grace is being humble. You know, if we have the attitude, hey, I'm just going to see things up to God's grace. It's just going ahead of me. The more I sin, the more He saves us. You, you miss the God who will not be mocked. No one's going to say, hey, God, you said I'd be punished. I don't see any punishment. It's coming. Don't you worry about the God will not be mocked. And sometimes a proud attitude can be like, yeah, I did it. And this is not happening to me. I'm going to be with it. Watch out. There's, there's a challenge in the land of the God who will not be mocked and be proud. But at the same time, when we're humble, um, God has to go to, it says he gives grace to anyone who messes up. Is that what it says? He gives grace to people in broken situations. We will know what this verse, the first Peter 5, this says. He gives grace to people who mess up, right? He gives people grace to people who break things, situations. That it says God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Sometimes we claim this song, God will save me after the good of those who love them. I love them, let's keep going. Right? And God gives grace to the humble. You mess things up, you sin against God, there's consequences. But He gives grace to the humble. You know, that's the essence of the gospel. We've all sinned against God. But through His grace, we believe that Jesus took on that punishment. We're not treated as a sin to live. I love that, the song 103, 10. I heard one of the brothers there, I think Greg said it in a sermon last week, there, the song 103, 10. It basically says, God does not treat us as our sins to live. You know, kind of the essence of grace. God treated Jesus as our sins deserve. My sins and your sins deserve. Jesus took the consequences. Um, and if you believe that and humbly receive that, well then there's a way God can be gracious to you. But if we're proud, and we go, ah, if I had that to do all over again, I'd do the same thing. That's how that's how God will not be mocked, you know. And so we we just have to be humble. Whether in your hard situations, I think about some of these situations that the losers are going through with their little daughter who's fighting with these different diseases we're trying to figure it out we need to go wise and we don't know but I know we can trust ourselves to our creator I know he'll give grace he tells, he tells Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 Paul is suffering because a demon is tormenting him because of these revelations he's received and he says God take it away and God says no I'll give you grace to do it and um God can give us grace to deal with things that we'd rather than take away. And that at the same time, if we've broken things and made wrong choices, we've sinned against God. We can humble ourselves. And God will treat us better than we deserve. And we just come to understand more how God treated His Son. Like the lame choices, the sinful choices that you and I have made. He treated Jesus like we deserve. The wrath that we deserve. The eternal consequences, separation. Jesus put that on for those of you who believe that. And, and so I just hope in all of this and growing in hospitality and understanding the Lord's will that we would um, we'd have clarity on, you know, God might call us to suffer for His name. We want to have that attitude of Paul and we need to beware of suffering. You know, I encourage you if you're experiencing suffering, the New Testament is full of places where it's examine yourself. Check out your life. See what's going on. There may be something going on you don't understand. There may be something you can put your finger right on. You know exactly what's going on. And having consequences for that again and again as it disperses the way in that area. Change says, after God's the grace to change those patterns, to make different choices. But um, 
Anyway, this is Trey and an apple pecan. I haven't thought of the, uh, we just thank you for the examples that you've given to us. So we think about some of these early followers of you, Lord Jesus, and the love that they taught, and the love that they passed on in their lives, and the love that they stressed in their households. And Lord, we ask for help to have that thing, that we ask for a love that others would see and they would know we are following Jesus Christ. So we ask for that love in our households, in our, whether it's being married or single or born, God, give us a love for one another that uh, speaks to the people around us, that serves and blesses those around us. Let us pray you give us wisdom and understanding your will. Help us to know um, where we suffer for your name and for doing what you want and, and give us grace to endure that even as you did, Lord Jesus. And help us to believe there is a glory for enduring that with faith as you promised. Lord, help us to get rid of sin in our lives that we are suffering for areas where we are not being mocked and we might not have a clue. Lord, help us to examine ourselves honestly, humbly, repent, and seek your grace, Lord God. We just ask for your help, your help in both of these areas, Lord, and showing your love and hospitality and, and doing your work. We say this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys for joining us this morning. Like I said, next week we have to be doing Acts 22. And Wednesday night we're also meeting um, in the park to do uh, another round of prayer, in the, prayer on the fourth. Just so I know that we're here. So I you to join us this Wednesday night at the park. Uh, here's from the park at 7 o'clock. Thanks a lot.